You're listening to Bite Sized Beauty, a podcast by Adore Beauty that breaks down the topics you want to hear more about into easy to listen to bite sized series. From sex to skin, we can guarantee there's something for everyone. So go on, sink your teeth into it. Gads, it's really sad. I know. This is our breakup episode. Although I was nervous at the beginning, now you kind of can't shut me up. I'm just like, let's keep going. This is going to be a really long episode. This is going to go for 24 hours. We got lots and lots of questions. Non-stop. Well, this is our Q&A episode. We got everyone to send us in a whole bunch of questions and we are going to be answering some of our favourites. But first, James, I want to know... What is your ride or die product? My ride or die would have to be, out of all of them, it would be exfoliation because I love how my skin looks and feels after I do. It brings about the glow. I love it that it enhances the penetration of all my skincare so they can go in as deeply as and safely as possible. That's for me. But I always feel like when people actually ask me, oh, James, what's your favourite product? I always feel like I give a really underwhelming answer because I'm like, well, look, my favorite product is the right product for the right skin. Get the products for you, have the treatments for you. And if you don't necessarily know what they are, call your dermal therapist. Very important. What about you, Yads? My ride or die product. I think I have a ride or die ingredient at the moment because like I mentioned in the pregnancy episode, I've just finished breastfeeding. I've finished having babies. Woo-hoo. I'm just 99% vitamin A at the moment. That's it. <laughs> but let's get on to the questions. Yeah, thanks so much for sending in your questions. And any questions that we didn't get to that came through to me, I'm going to DM your answers. So somebody has asked, what clinical treatments are best for acne scarring? Okay, so... When clients come in and, you know, they write on their consult form that they're one of the concerns are acne scarring, my first question is always, can you tell me about your acne scarring? Are we talking about skin discolorations or are we talking about depressions in the skin? And I'm always quite relieved when they say, no, I'm just talking about the discolorations that have come about after some acne or some breakouts because they're much, much easier to treat than actually what we call acne scarring, where there's been some volume loss in the skin. So if we're wanting to work on skin discolorations, they come under the categories of either hyperpigment or post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation, where there's some pigment that's been deposited as part of the healing response, or post-inflammatory erythema, where there's still just some signs of that natural healing. So patience is always something that's very much needed here because that healing will happen, but we can definitely help it along through the use of our favourite treatment, Yad's laser genesis. Yes, uh, very through good. Skin needling is also appropriate too, Uh, chemical peeling treatments, and also relying on giving the skin lots of nutrients with at-home skincare. And then um, if it actually is more that we've got some volume loss, then it does become a more longer process and a challenging process. And as dermal therapists, you know, there's definitely some procedures that assist here. And this is where we kind of need to turn up the lasers uh, to go to more of our resurfacing treatments, stimulating more heat in the skin, getting more collagen being produced in the skin to smooth out that skin texture. So Yads, I know that you've worked a lot with Fraxel. Yes. Great for acne scarring. Other resurfacing procedures are great. And then depending on the depth and the severity of the acne scarring, there's medical intervention that can assist beyond the world of dermal therapies. So 
a dermal therapist should be able to tell you what they can and what they can't do in terms of affecting change on different types of acne scarring. So for example, we refer a lot to dermatologists or plastic surgeons when we just know that we're not going to be able to make a good enough impact on that acne scarring. Mm -hmm. I think also people need to be aware that we need to um, address the acne first prior to treating the scarring. Totally. You know, we get a lot of clients that come in both with, you know, inflammatory acne and scarring and they want to treat it all at the same time and we can't do that. So it's very important to reduce the inflammation in your skin and that's always going to come first prior to treating any of the scarring. But if you are treating it in clinic, you need to make sure that you're using the right skincare to prevent the breakouts from coming back as well. And again, this all circles right back to the consultation. Quite often, you know, with with acne, Unfortunately, you know, there's a lot of texture under the skin. There's a lot of congestion. And, you know, if you see a dermal therapist, they will remove that safely for you in an effort to prevent both skin discolorations and acne scarring. But a lot of people are actually at home self-extracting and, you know, just a little shout out to anyone doing that, that, you know, you're certainly not doing, if you are at risk of acne scarring or or with um, skin discolorations, that certainly every time you attack, there's already a little wound there and you're kind of making that wound a bigger one that's going to take longer to heal with more chance of scarring. And when it comes to treating the symptoms of acne before you start getting into uh, treating the acne scarring. We're talking yads yeah, like chemical peeling treatments, as I said, in clinic extractions, lots of deep cleansing. I mean, microdermabrasion, if your clinics do those sorts of things. But um, yes, they're your main ones. Mm-hmm. And everything takes time. You can't just treat it with one treatment. It's not going to happen overnight. So especially with acne scarring, I think it's a very much a long-term a game with acne scarring. That leads really well, Yads, into uh, the next question, which is what can I do about hormonal acne? Mm, a very popular question. Everyone's always wanting to know how to treat their hormonal acne. Firstly, I guess let's cover what hormonal acne is because it's exactly what it sounds like. So this is acne that's caused by fluctuations of our own hormones. Um, so essentially when our hormones shift in our body, for example, when you've got your period, um, when you're a teenager, you go through puberty, even when you go through menopause as you get old, older and even stress that's also linked to our hormones and these hormonal fluctuations are going to affect your skin the thing with hormonal acne though is that you need to address the underlying issues that are leading to your hormonal acne in the first place in order for it to go away you know there's no magic way to get rid of it that would essentially mean changing the way that your body functions so if you would like to get rid of your hormonal acne i think it is going to require a really holistic approach so you might need to work with a dermal therapist as well as a naturopath, dietitian, or even a GP. Um, and I think when you have hormonal acne, it's also important to be aware of attacking your face with anything that's really harsh or anything that's going to dry out the skin. That's only going to worsen your inflammation. Gentle skincare, again, this is when you talk to a dermal therapist that's prescribed to you by your dermal therapist, is likely going to provide you the best results and help to manage the severity of the acne. Um, In saying that, I do also want to mention hormonal acne, it doesn't really show up in the skin as, you know, the pustules. Pustules are like those little pimples that have a white head and you can easily pop. Hormonal acne are more like those really painful cysts that pop up in your skin and they hurt. And because they hurt and they don't have a white head, you shouldn't pop them. And generally they do appear on the jawline and the chin area as well. So if you have recurring um, acne like that, then it could be hormonal acne. Mm. You know, I've got a few 
examples of, of some clients who we've been able to get their skin to a really fantastic place, but they still just get that monthly or every couple of months they get that really, as you said, yeah, it's that really cystic blemish. And, you know, it's really, really disheartening for them and and for me as a therapist too and I've spoken to Dr Alice Rudd for example about what to do here and she's like James you are doing all the right things your client are doing all the right things unfortunately the only thing here is Rakutane and look I'm not opposed to to introducing that as a as an option to a client when the time is right particularly after consultation with a dermatologist so um, for those clients where there's just been that reoccurring one that dose of Aracutane has been very low over a long period of time and it's been, and they're off it now, and it's been enough to actually remove that hormonal breakout that happened from time to time. You know, as I said, there was nothing that anyone could do about it. So, you know, there are moments where we need to, as we mentioned in the first episode, utilize other practitioners around us. And that's a good example of that. The other thing I want to say here too, and I see quite a bit of this on or more and more of this on Instagram now and I'm really curious about it and I want to learn more about this is you know the fact that pimples are a fact of life hormones are a fact of life like we're dead if we don't have any hormones and unfortunately they can manifest as as a breakout and we have to you know I guess normalize these processes you know as dermal therapists we are solutions focused you know a client comes and says i don't like this or i want to improve this and we're like we're here for you mm-hmm. we'll help um and, and and occasionally that is you know a a blemish free face and for some people that is a, a possibility for but for so many people it's not so what can we do about hormonal acne there's definitely as we've discussed there's options out there but we also need to take a step back and be aware that hormonal acne is a part of life yeah or, or breakouts are a part of life and if you break out i i don't mean to this to sound really trite but like there's nothing wrong with you if you break out and and, and it can sometimes be because not because you're trying or for a lack of trying it's just that you know that's what our body Does. is doing yes. that's what your skin is doing um and for of course for a whole lot of people they've got the breakouts and they either do or don't care about them and they're not doing anything. And that's totally fine too. But I guess, you know, we're really talking to people that do want clear skin here. There are things we can do as much as possible. Yeah, it's next questione, best treatment for broken capillaries. Okay. So first, broken capillaries are called telangiectasias. I know it's a bit of a mouthful. They actually look like a little fine pink or red lines and you can get them anywhere um i personally have them they pop up on my cheeks another really common area that you might have them is on the sides of your nose um on your chin as well is also very common um so the reason why people get these telangiectasias are because of chronic uv exposure that's a very common reason but also genetics um if you know there's a, a big genetic predisposition to telangiectasias If you want to treat them in clinic, it is very easy. We have lasers that target the hemoglobin in the blood to destroy the capillary, and they're great for treating uh, telangiectasias on the face and are very effective. A lot of people just need, you know, one to three treatments and then will come in yearly. It's quite – I think it's different for everyone, though. So how many treatments you may need to treat these um, little fine vessels will depend on the severity of them. Plus, they can come back 
particularly when someone has an underlying skin condition like rosacea, people that have rosacea might um, be very familiar with telangiectasias. Yeah, and uh, yeah, as I always say, you know, if it comes back, it's not the sign of an ineffective treatment. As mm-hmm. you said, you know, the for some people, they're just prone to them, particularly like as you said, around the nose, like, you know, so many of us have got allergies and hay fever and, you know, we're blowing, blowing our nose and all those sorts of things. And that sort of pressure on such a sensory area. You know, like, hello, broken oh, – I just call them broken capillaries. Telangiectasia. Um, so, yes, treating them with laser is really effective. Um, IPL can also work too. Um, it's a much more superficial delivery of light into the skin so it can pick up um, certain uh, vessels, can also pick up some general redness too, but laser can do that as well. And also some clinics or practitioners will use diathermy for that as well. All right, Yads. I like this question. Nothing seems to work on my blackheads. Any tips? Okay, so the best ingredient for blackheads is salicylic acid. Salicylic acid is a BHA and it's great for blackheads because it breaks down the materials that clog the pores. So this is like excess oil, uh, dead skin cells, all of the things. Um, So I'd avoid pore strips or anything that will rip at your skin. I know I see a lot of this on uh, TikTok. They're a little bit scary. You don't need to do any wild treatments to get rid of your blackheads. And realistically, when you're using a pore strip, it's only a temporary solution to the issue. Salicylic acid, on the other hand, is uh, so much more effective at fixing the concern. You can find it in serums. You can find it in cleansers. Uh, if you don't have blackheads all over your face, you know, you might just get them on your nose. Use, um, you know, a salicylic acid wash on your nose. You can do that every single night. It should be fine. Um, you can use a serum just in problem areas. You can multi-mask with a salicylic acid mask, just applying the mask onto the problem areas. And that's going to be more of a long-term treatment uh, for blackheads. You can be like Yads and have, don't you have a, a nose scrub? I have a nose scrub. I have my own dedicated nose scrub just for my nose. <laughs> I really highly recommend it. It's the, it's the Aspect Illuminating Polish. Great for that. Oh, yeah, it's good. When we talk about blackheads, I always think it's really important to kind of um, distinguish between, you know, what a true blackhead is, and that's what I call a comedone, and that's when you've got, um, and they can be open or closed, and they're when you can kind of feel them underneath the skin. Mm. A lot of people call the area through their T-zone as blackheads, but quite often they're more what are known as sebaceous filaments, and that's just the oil moving through the follicle like it's supposed to do, um, and it can sort of get a little bit um, discoloured as it reaches the top through the oxidization process. So really regardless of whether or not, you know, you've got comedones or the sebaceous filaments, again, they're just sort of hallmarks of having skin, um, particularly if you're more on the oily or combination skin side. Um, Sebaceous filaments, you know, they can be challenging to, to treat at home because, you know, that oil is always moving through the skin. And even when you come in clinic to have work done on those areas, it still comes back. But I love throwing, you know, an in-clinic strength of salicylic acid on a nose, for example. And mm-hmm. someone's like, I hate the pores on my nose. And I'm like, well, let's just really clean them out. I put uh, like 20% salicylic on the nose and then I say to my client, touch your nose, and they go, oh, my God, whose nose is that? And I'm like, yeah, I know, right? Like it really it really just kind of absorbs everything in the follicle, like you said, Yads. But, you know, it's temporary. But that's, you know, that's part of some people's, you know, four-weekly, six-weekly visit to, in, to see their dermal therapist to have, you know, their sebaceous filaments really, really... Um, treated. Treated. Thanks, yeah. <laughs> 
I want to come into your clinic just to get a nose treatment now after that. And look, and that's, 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 you know, a good conversation about, you know, the pore story. You know, a lot of people say, you know, you can't change the size of your pores, pores, mm-hmm. are full, pores, you can't change the size of your feet, your feet are your feet. I, I do somewhat agree with that. You know, when it comes to, if people come in and they say, look, I don't like the size of my pores, I'm like, fine. But what we're going to do first is we're going to see how refined we can get your pore through cleaning it out. So yeah. that's, as I said to you, using those more oil-regulating acids. Um, some people say they don't like their pores, but they've never had a skincare treatment before. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, before we start like really working on that, let's just clean the skin. And from there, people are like, oh my God, I'm so happy. And I'm like, perfect. Well, that was yes. an easy win. But some people are like, what else can we do? I'm like, okay, well, now we need to look at our collagen induction treatments because whilst the size of a pore is a pore as we age they get bigger because we lose the collagen around the the pore so if we stimulate more proteins in the skin we can ideally try to revert it back to how it used to look yes and i think you know you see all these people using pore strips you know i'm I'm pretty sure i used a pore strip when i was a teenager as well uh but your skin changes as you as you age it's just not going to be doing any benefits if you're still using products like that so that this is where the right skincare for the right person um is very important Somebody's asked, um, boxes or briefs? Oh, stop it. They did not. <laughs> oh, you have to tell, give the people what they want. A briefs, briefs. I'm a briefs boy. <laughs> okay, next. Give me a serious one, Yads. Okay. When, I actually, we both really like this one. When do you recommend moving up percentage in retinol? Oh, good one. Okay, so... I want to start off by saying that I think people think that, you know, if a little bit of something is good, then more of it's going to be better. But I think in today's age, actually finding a retinol that you can tolerate every single night is is hard enough. So rather than worrying about like moving up to a percentage, like if you find the retinol for you, like congratulations, like you are already winning the race. But of course, like in our clinic, for example, we have about 10 different vitamin A's that range from, you know, the pregnant, a pregnancy safe one to super mild and gentle for really fragile um, skins that can't tolerate a lot of vitamin A to something for a much thicker, well-experienced vitamin A user. So if you have a dermal therapist, ideally you're doing it in consultation with them. But I guess for anyone thinking about it, you when your skin is, you know, feel you feel like it's reaping all the rewards from the vitamin A, maybe you feel like your skin's plateaued a little bit. Some tips from us in terms of introducing is not to just finish the one you are on and then introduce the new one. Make sure you've still got quite a lot of the one that you've used. So maybe you've gone through a couple of bottles of it and then find the one that's stronger for you and start to introduce it twice a week. So pick it two nights, Monday, Thursday, introduce it Monday, Thursday, do that for a few weeks. No signs and symptoms of sensitivity, redness, flaking, burning. If that's the case, go to three nights couple of weeks, no, no symptoms of a reaction, go four nights, go five nights until eventually you are tolerating it in the same frequency that you were your original one. And then you can just start using that. And then you don't need two products. You're just on the stronger one. I think if you've got, um, if you can't tolerate it as regularly as the other one, 
I think maybe you're not ready or that's not an appropriate strength for you. I do like the thought that if you're progressing onto something stronger, that it's actually one that you then, that then becomes your nightly retinol. And also like if you're 18 years old on a retinol or a vitamin A, I should say, you've got to, you've got to have somewhere to go in your twenties, in your thirties, in your forties, you know, like you've got to save some fun things to later. So, and that's when you'll notice the skin concerns so much more. I remember waking up, you know, after my thirties and I was like, where, what, I've got pigmentation, what, all this redness, what's happening? Um, and that's, yeah, definitely you're going to, you need to have somewhere to move up from. Okay, another question for you, Yads. What are your thoughts on the brand The Ordinary? Mm, very popular question as well. Uh, we get asked about The Ordinary all the time. So for, for context, The Ordinary sit underneath Desiem. Um, so there's lots of mini brands underneath that. I love The Ordinary Squalling Cleanser. I talk about it all the time. It's a staple in my routine. I think if you want to try something from Desiem, uh, from The Ordinary, definitely try that. But uh, underneath the Desiem banner, I'd opt for Hylamide or the Niod range. I just think they're a little bit better. The products are a little bit more expensive, but the quality is better. And, of course, The Ordinary is a great introductory cosmeceutical. I think for a lot of people, The Ordinary is like, you know, a bit of a stepping stone. You know, for some people, it's their first foray into cosmeceutical skincare because they hear that, you know, hyaluronic acid is a really good ingredient or niacinamide or L-ascorbic acid. And one of the great things about The Ordinary is if you want those ingredients, you can literally just go and buy them. You know, they are they are what they say on the packet but what happens is sometimes you know yeah we love to complex our ingredients together um because let's use hyperpigmentation for example there's so many ingredients and so many steps in that process so one ingredient's not necessarily going to affect enough change so sometimes what happens is that people end up with four five six seven eight of these products and I mean, that's confusing. It's it is. It's confusing. confusing for a dermal therapist. It's confusing for a consumer. And sometimes that's where the challenge is. And that's why we love brands like Aspect or Cosmetics because they complex these ingredients together in a serum for a skin type or a skin concern. And, you know, you can kind of um, uh, kill a few birds with one stone. But, you know, if you want, if you know what you want, the ordinary is actually great in that respect. Okay. So we have, my skin is breaking out from vitamin C. Should I try a gentler version? You know, that is like, it's a good question. And I probably should look into this a little bit more. I don't know why there is necessarily know why there is a correlation between breakouts and vitamin C, but I've done this enough times now to know that sometimes taking vitamin C out of a routine of a client who has acne or is breakout prone can be a really, really easy win. You take that out and it can make a really, really big difference into the to the severity of the breakouts and it can sometimes be kind of that missing link. You know, every, these, this client has been doing everything right. However, they left their vitamin C in. We took that out and it's, and it's greatly improved. Of course, if that happens, we need to look at other forms of antioxidants. We don't stop protecting the skin in that respect. But, yeah, it's funny. Do you know why, Yads? I'm assuming this question is referring to L-ascorbic acid. That is um, the type of vitamin C that people tend to find the most irritating. 
I think if you really want to keep vitamin C in your routine, you could try a derivative. A lot of products formulated with vitamin C derivatives are actually formulated with hydrating um, ingredients as well or a niacinamide. Um, I think these are quite gentle on the skin and this might lessen any type of irritation. If it doesn't, you don't need to be using vitamin C. It's okay. Um, I think a lot of people like to use vitamin C. They don't know why they're using vitamin C. It's a very popular ingredient in skincare. So obviously L-ascorbic acid also obviously has a lot of uh, clinical studies to back up its claims, again, why it's so popular, but it's not for everyone. If you still have no luck with the derivatives, um, I'd opt for other antioxidants. You know, vitamin E is also really great, resveratrol, coenzyme Q10. Um, I think the Alpha H vitamin E serum is very underrated. So definitely check that out on Adore Beauty. It's one of my favourites. Mm. All right. So good segue into next question, Yads. If you had to choose niacinamide or vitamin C. Niacinamide. I feel like I talk about it a lot, but it has benefited my skin for the last six years, you know, going through pregnancy, breastfeeding, the little snippets of my real skin that I had for maybe six months in between all of my babies. It just does everything. I think it's the one ingredient that is beneficial for everyone. Um, it brightens the skin. It regulates sebum production. It's an antioxidant. It hydrates. Um, I think it's just great for overall skin health. So mine would be niacinamide. How about you? I love it. It's bloody amazing. But I think... And, you know, I think that it's just part of sort of my personal cosmeceutical journey. Like I tried a vitamin C or I was introduced to vitamin C before I was vitamin B. So I remember, you know, just how good my skin looked and felt when I started to introduce vitamin C. Uh-huh. It was a game changer for me. So I try to get as many of my clients who vitamin C is appropriate for, of course, onto a vitamin C serum because it's so brightening. It's, you know, um, uh, very important in the age management process. It helps with hyperpigmentation. And then I kind of use my vitamin B as like the cherry on the top. So I like my clients to have their exfoliants, their B, their A's. And then if it's all going well, I'm like, let's add some vitamin B and what do you think? And they're like, cool, let's do it. However, yeah, there are times when B is, of course, more appropriate than vitamin C. So in that case, I'm back to my original comment. I My favorite product is the right product for the right skin. So we will prescribe accordingly. But, you know, vitamin C if I had to pick. Okay. Ooh, this is a good one too. Is it okay to put serums under the eye area? Um. It's going to depend on what the serum is. It's going to depend on what the eye area is doing. I also kind of feel like eye creams are also the cherry on the tops of, of routines as well. Like, of course, if a client's main concern is their eye area, well, like, please address it with an eye cream, a suitable eye cream to target those concerns. But for a lot of people, you know, the eye area isn't necessarily a concern at this point in their dermal therapies journey. So I'm like, let's get those serums up and around the eye area. Of course, if there's any sensitivity, let me know. And of course, there are some products that won't be appropriate for that if they're highly acidic or too too powerful. But I'm okay for people to start when they're particularly starting with co- cosmeceuticals to just consider that area like everywhere else. Um, and then of course, if the client's saying, I want to address my dark circles or my puffiness or my de- dehydration, I'm going to say, look, let's target that with a specific product Mm -hmm. i think the eye area needs its own product the skin underneath the eye is obviously a little bit thinner if you're using strong retinols on your face and then putting that underneath your eye and it's not formulated for that area i it's obviously not going to be appropriate so 
get yourself an eye cream that's going to target your concerns. There are so many great eye creams that I actually use as primer underneath my concealer as well in the morning. So um, it kind of preps the eye area if you're going to be wearing makeup during the day as well. There are some really great ones out there. There are so many eye creams. (laughs) I'm very team eye cream, as you can tell. And look, I think, you know, just, just on eye creams too, it's like, you know, the eyes cop it. You know, they really. Um, there's so many things that happen to the eyes. You know, what you're doing, muscle. what you're doing right now, is not. <laughs> oh, you can see me. I'm rubbing my eyes. Rubbing yeah, you know, eyes. like Pulling rubbing your eyes, skin. irritating your own eyes, volume loss. You know, genetics. The eyes, you know, cop it. So, in our clinic, you know, we kind of um, separate the concerns around the eye area as aging, as dehydration, as dark circles and puffiness. And we've got eye creams that that we think have the best ability to target those four things because people generally have a bit of a standout to to what's bothering them. Also, some people might be prone to conditions like milia. Um, so they might need a, an eye cream that's a little bit thinner. So definitely you need to shop around a little bit when it comes to eye creams. Mm. Yads, last question. Best ingredients for hyperpigmentation? Best ingredients. SPF is my number one. So you need to be wearing SPF regardless, but especially if you've got um, any type of pigmentation, staying out of the sun. Uh, Retinol is also a really great ingredient for everything. It's gold standard in clinic. I love it for hyperpigmentation if your skin can tolerate it. Um, An antioxidant every day, vitamin C, is another great brightening ingredient. Um, use that in the morning. And of course, AHAs, glycolic acid is great for hyperpigmentation. Hmm. Yeah. And it's a, it's a complex, you know, SPF is protecting the skin from unnecessary heat. It's also, you know, instilling good, just general sun habits so that, you know, ideally you're pairing it with a hat and then the retinol and the AHAs are helping to move the pigment through the skin. So it's lightening faster, whereas the retinol and the vitamin C and even vitamin B, kojic acid, arbutin, these ingredients are actually helping to suppress the formation of excess pigment. These are the sorts of ingredients that you have available to you online. These are the sorts of ingredients we have available to us in clinic. Then there's the dermatological road with hydroquinone that you don't use over a long period of time, but a short period of time to really kind of wipe out as much of that pigment as possible. It's phenomenal when it's used correctly. It really, really is. So, Gads, answering these questions with you, you know, it really highlights, whilst I've agreed with everything that you've said, you know, just how different our answers are and how, you know, every dermal therapist has their own philosophies and the information that they're pushing out into the world is is unique. And I love that about our industry. But also, you know, I guess it does get a bit confusing when one of us is saying one thing and another is saying another. You know, nobody is wrong. There's not one way to skincare. There's not one way to dermal therapies. And, you know, coming back to what you said in the very beginning, you know, just um, like everyone is researching their skincare at home, research who you want to connect with Mm -hmm. are they speaking your language and you know that's a really good way to find your dermal therapist yeah yeah and also getting to know your own skin you know we've been trying to reiterate that throughout the series that it's really important to know to get to listen to it to listen to your skin to get to know your own skin to have a dermal therapist so that they know your skin as well um, and you have that professional guidance with your skincare find a dermal therapist that you can trust trust your gut make sure that they're getting the results that you're after um, and someone that you can vibe with 
Well, yeah, it's I trust you. I vibe with you. I vibe with you too. You're my de- you're my dermal therapist. <laughs> I'm going to come to Melbourne and get that nose treatment. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much to everyone for joining mm-hmm. us on our Dermal Diaries little journey. It's been really fun. I've learned quite a lot. And I am still a little bit in shock that we were given a podcast, an entire podcast to ourselves. So thank you, Adore Beauty. Thanks, Adore <laughs> Beauty. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks to Matt for being just a, like a little magician in the back end and mm-hmm. to Joe, yeah, to be our little potty mentor yes. um, and soon to be one of us. Yes. So, Yads, I'll see you soon. Okay. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.